groundbreaking research. Cutting edge ideas. The future of society. For inquisitive minds. F-I-M. Welcome to the podcast. It's Ali and Upile. And today we have uh, Oliver, who's uh, hailing from Germany. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Thank you. Good yeah. to see you. Good to have you. Very fascinating to uh, sit here with you. Really cool. Oh, I'm blushing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was very old. I'm ever so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us a bit about your about your PhD. What are, what are you studying? Yeah, so I'm from Germany, right? But I'm doing my PhD here at Imperial. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm looking at the future cost of electricity storage. Sure. Mm-hmm. So how much will a battery in the future cost? Mm-hmm. Or how much will a pumped hydro storage plant in the future cost where you pump water uphill when you have electricity and let it flow downhill right. to generate electricity? Right. So this is not a battery like a like a battery pack, like Energizer Duracell. This is like a storage unit from like wind turbines, solar panels, etc. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, um, it's not, you know, um, if we talk about batteries, you need to differentiate between the cell, which is something you put in your former CD player or something like that. Yeah. Um, if you put many cells together, you get a pack. That's what's going into electric vehicles. Yeah. If you put many packs together and add some other components, yeah. you have a system a storage system which you can put next to a wind farm or a, a solar PV plant. Okay, gotcha, nice. gotcha. Why? Why you would do that? Yeah. Why well, you, yeah. Why I guess it's more like, why study this? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares about energy and electricity? Yeah, why? Maybe, yeah. Maybe you why heard, yeah, maybe you heard about something for climate change. Right? What? <laughs> <laughs> we, we've now yeah. reached a temperature, uh, an average temperature that hasn't been there before recording the average temperature. Yeah. You can see... Uh, Massive disasters, climate uh, disasters happening all over the world. This summer in Germany, the fish were dying in the rivers because it was too hot. This winter, um, there was uh, unprecedented levels of snow in the Alps. So it's really worrying me. One of the most uh, significant contributors to greenhouse gases is the energy sector by burning coal, gas and oil. And this is happening practically till now. This is happening nonstop. Um, the way that uh, the only way to change that is bringing renewable power online, solar, wind. Um, we've seen huge growth. I just saw a report that now there's the new capacities that are brought online to generate electricities or renewables are, are higher than coal, gas, and oil. Oh, wow. So we're bringing more online. However, many countries are reaching a point where they actually need to integrate this power, which is generated variably, right? Solar power is just generated when the sun shines. Wind power is just generated when the wind blows. Yeah, at some point, you need to deal with this intermittency. And that's where electricity storage comes into play. Mm-hmm. So the energy is created. So let, let's take solar panels, for example. You have the sun shining. The sun shines into the panel. The panel then creates electricity or generates that energy somehow. Yeah. Yeah, transfers that energy into electricity. Yeah? yeah. And then there's a storage unit where all that electricity is stored. Is exactly. That, that, that is that is the idea, right? Because okay. people come home in the afternoon, yeah. then the sun is not shining anymore, but yeah. they need the electricity, which is currently still generated by gas fire power stations, which you can turn on and off yeah. at your will. Yeah. Um, but with a battery, you could discharge the solar energy when yeah. the people actually need it. 
and that's crucial to bring more of that power online. Now, is it, but is that the crux of the of the problem? Like, if you look at the entire situation of the energy market, mm -hmm. right? Where is there the biggest bottleneck? So you can say, if I solve that problem, there'll be more more of a distribution of this energy. Yeah, is it just in storage? That is the problem. Exactly. Initially, the problem was that wind farms and solar panels were too expensive. Right. So you know you had uh, policy schemes to support them. Yeah. Right. That has changed. So you see a lot of solar farms and PV Correct. and, and uh, wind farms all over the world. Yeah. Now we hit another bottleneck, which is, you know, a certain amount of wind power and solar power you can always integrate because the sun does shine when some people wash their laundry. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. however, we've reached that point now. Now, lots of wind farms have to be curtailed because they generate and there's no demand. Yeah. But then again, in a so-called cold snap, when it's super cold and there's no wind, then there's no electricity generated from the wind. And we actually need all of our old fossil-based generation portfolio. Mm -hmm. So now we actually reach a point where we've deployed a lot of wind and solar farms, but to deploy more of that and use more of the energy they generate, we need storage. Right. And, and then this comes down to the whole cost aspects and, you know, how do you now... Exactly. Yeah. Now, now the story is kind of repeated. Now, actually, electricity storage is too expensive. Yeah, There's okay. one technology which is widely deployed that's called pumped storage. Yes. When you pump water uphill, when you have electricity, let it flow downhill to generate electricity when right. you need it. Um, however, most spots are taken. Mm -hmm. um, you need uh, the right geography for that. You right. need kind of a mountain. Um, uh -huh. So you have a water reservoir uphill and a water reservoir downhill. Okay. Here, most spots are taken. Um, plus, you ideally want to build um, the storage uh, next to the renewables plant or somewhere yeah. in the power network where it's actually of use. Yeah. Um, so for that, we're looking for other solutions, and these are still too expensive. However, what we see is that the cost, for example, of lithium-ion batteries mm -hmm. are decreasing at a huge pace. Mm -hmm. um, and when I started my PhD, people were observing this pace, but there was very little research about at what speed does this pace go down? Okay. With what uh, costs can we calculate in 2030? Mm -hmm. um, and then my PhD comes in by applying a consistent methodology across all electricity storage technologies mm -hmm. that are quite prominent. And um, then saying for all of these technologies, how much could they cost in 2030? So let's, let's take a step back to this whole reservoir piece. So um explain just a little bit more so there's reservoir at the bottom you have a you have a mountain if you will or a hill yeah and at the top of the hill you have one reservoir at the bottom of the hill you have another reservoir exactly how does the energy actually get like where is the energy stored with that whole pumping system yeah so you do have electricity you mm -hmm. use that electricity yeah. to drive a turbine or a pump in that sense yes which turns and thereby pushes the water from the lower reservoir to the upper reservoir okay, okay. So you, you, in physical terms, you're converting the electrical energy into the potential energy of water at a certain height. Okay. Every element that's at a certain height has potential energy because of gravity. If you drop it, it will fall down, which is energy, mm -hmm. right? So we've now used this electricity to drive a turbine to pump the water uphill. Now the water sits in the upper reservoir uphill. Yeah. Yeah. When you now need electricity, you let this water flow downhill again, yeah. your pump becomes a turbine, it turns the other way around. Huh. That then generates electricity. Interesting. And so the hard part is because it's probably easy to find reservoir space at the bottom of the mountain, but the top of the mountain, it's hard to find reservoir space. You can always build a dam, mm -hmm. right, uh, somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's not the problem, but 
um, we needed electricity storage already in the 80s yes. to integrate cheap uh, nuclear power yeah. uh, that was produced at night time. Yeah. In that, in that uh, context, the best spots have been taken already. Now, now it's difficult to find a uh, mountain with sufficient height difference where you can build a reservoir. What is a sufficient height difference? Uh, okay, that's uh, it can be 100 meters, it, it can be 50 meters. It all, it all meters. depends on the, the reservoirs and the system. Is that Exactly. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in yeah. uh, pumped hydro plants, yeah. um, but what, what I read is that it's getting more and more difficult yeah. uh, to find good spots for that technology. And actually, in my research, where, looking at, where I was looking at cost reduction trends of technologies, mm -hmm. I saw that for this technology, costs are increasing. Mm -hmm. So when you say the best spots have been taken, is this due to just how you know buildings and just the natural habitat and stuff or what do you mean in terms of best spots have been taken yeah i mean now when i say you need an upper reservoir and a lower reservoir yeah kind of sounds easy mm -hmm. right but then if you are in the mountains you would see okay not not so many spots are suitable for that right you know you, you can't flood an entire valley uh, and then let the water flow down at the end of the valley because people live there because yes. you're destroying a bit of the environment correct um, so environmental protection people will be on your heels. There's a lot more players involved, essentially. Exactly. In yeah, yeah. It's not as it's easy. Like a po it's like you're creating a new policy. Yeah. Why are you doing it? You can't do it. Quite a lot of activists involved. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and so what you specifically studied is the cost of all of the storage. So not just the upper and lower reservoir storage, but all sorts of other storages, including lithium ion and whatnot. Exactly. Yes. So what are the... I guess the top three cheapest storages or energy storage facilities now, um, or even top one. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the top one is what we just described, pumped hydro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The second one, I would say, based on my research, is something called compressed air. Okay. All right. So what you do here is, it's it's based on similar principles, just compression this time uh, instead mm -hmm. of gravity. So what you do is you take a gas. You put it through a turbine, which compresses this gas, mm -hmm. so it's a, at a higher pressure. You press it into an underground reservoir, an empty salt cavern, for example. Mm -hmm. There, the air sits with a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And then when you need the electricity, you let it stream out again through a turbine. Mm -hmm. So then it generates electricity again. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, this was the second most widely deployed storage technology. However, there were only two plants all over the world. It's just that these plants are massive. Mm -hmm. The thing with that technology is it's quite inefficient because when you compress the gas, yeah. you create a lot of heat, which usually gets lost. Yeah. When you then release the gas, yep. it cools down incredibly much. So you actually need to inject some natural gas that you burn alongside the gas decompressing. Yeah. So it works in the world where we we actually looking for a gas-fired power station to make that more efficient while also storing some energy. But for storing renewable energy without the use of any fossil energy to release it again, yeah. um, it's not an ideally suited technology. To build something like that, how long does that take? How, you know, these are typical, uh, yeah, large construction projects. Wow. I would say between five and ten years. Oh, right, okay. It could Big be less. Project. It could be less than that. Yeah. I, I think a pumped hydro plant takes a bit more and compressed air. If the cavern sits there already, okay, uh, you could probably do it in three years. So that's number two. Number three. That's number two. Wait, wait, um, so, sorry, just I just want to be clear. Were you thinking about going to your backyard and just digging a little hole and just? 
<laughs> and then uh, and hoping that you could get free electricity. Something a lot more practical than that, actually. Oh, right, sure, Just sure. literally go to my backyard, sit down and expect something to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what, what is number three? Let, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so number three is, and actually now we're actually really going into the depths of the research, right? Yeah. Because if you ask me in terms of what is the cheapest technology, mm -hmm. we could differentiate between the investment cost. Yeah. How much do I need to pay for my storage capacity? for yeah. So for the volume of energy that I can store? Mm -hmm. That's what I was referring now, pumped hydro, compressed air. Correct, yeah. The other metric is, how much does a kilowatt hour electricity released from my store yeah. over its entire life right. cost? Okay. Right. That then that takes into account the investment cost, but also the operation cost. How many times can I charge and discharge it before I have to throw it away? Mm -hmm. How efficient is it in doing that? I guess that ties in. Actually, I had a question around here. Yeah, how do you come up with all these you know, calculations and costs and future? How do you, how do you come up with it? Um, but yeah, as yeah, you yeah, said. yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, obviously, the investment cost is what people need to pay to yeah. have it built. Yeah. So that's of interest. But what I am advocating is that's not the only thing you should look at. You should look at what does the kilowatt hour of electricity discharge right. at the end of life cost you. Right. And I'm mentioning that because now it's getting even more complicated. There are many different applications you can use your storage device for. Right. You can store electricity for, let's say, eight hours. It's nice to store the solar energy from midday for the night, for example. Yeah. You can store it just for half an hour. Mm. That's important to stabilize the power system. For example, when there's a football match going on and suddenly the floodlights turn on and a lot of electricity is needed for a short time. And all these technologies have different costs and different applications. Oh. That's why actually nowadays we do see a mix of storage technologies deployed. There's a lot of pumped hydro for this kind of eight-hour type storage. But there are other technologies, they're called flywheels, but they're also batteries, which are now widely deployed to support the electricity system short term. Yeah. That's what I was now referring to. Pumped hydro and compressed air yeah. are cheapest technologies. Okay. But what is happening is that electricity storage in terms of batteries, so lithium-ion batteries, yes. but also other types of batteries, <clears throat> redox flow batteries, these costs are falling. Investment cost-wise, they're still quite expensive, mm -hmm. yeah. but in terms of lifetime cost, they become cheaper and could actually match compressed air and pumped hydro in certain applications. That, that's super interesting because when I when I think of solar panels, and, I, and I, I know nothing about anything, but when I think of solar panels, I think of like a solar panel farm with a battery unit, with a with a battery or like some sort of like large scale packs of batteries beside it, mm -hmm. right? I don't think of pumped hydro, I don't think of compressed air. Yeah. Is that kind of what the general population understands of it? Because this is, to be honest, one of the first times I'm hearing about compressed air as a way of storing energy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, is, is that kind of true? Like, is that what the general population thinks or is it just... Yeah, I think the general population is not so much aware of, of... how the energy system works. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, solar farms and wind power plants traditionally, traditionally would be too small mm -hmm. For a pumped hydro plant, a pumped hydro scheme or compressed air plant to be built next to them, right? Because these these usually only make sense when you build them large scale, right? And that's why they were built, you know, where the cavern exists, where the mountains are, mm -hmm. and then um, yeah, they they were connected to the entire electricity system, so they could use all the nuclear energy that is produced countrywide at night yeah. to store. 
So that's why when people think about storing renewable energy, they always picture this wind farm or the solar farm and putting a battery next to them. Yeah. To store that electricity, you do not necessarily have to build the storage device next to them. Mm -hmm. Right, but you can only picture a battery being next to them. And right. it's currently, if people want to deploy storage next to a renewable plant, yeah. they will put batteries because that's that's actually one of the key advantages of battery-based electricity storage. Mm -hmm. Batteries are modular. Mm -hmm. You can build a small one, and if the business model makes sense, you add a bit more capacity, then you add a bit more later on. And that's the key advantage over pumped hydro and compressed air because these you just build once. Like once you got your lower and upper reservoir, mm -hmm. it's difficult to increase the size of them. It's possible, but it's it's a major act. So can I? So I'm going to ask another silly question. Yeah. <clears throat> you said that the third, potentially the third cheapest electricity storage unit are batteries, like lithium-ion batteries. Yes. Yes. Why are they not the first? Is it because of the investment it takes to manufacture a lithium-ion battery? Because it surely is not. The storage space right you can find storage space and you can probably put a bunch of lithium-ion packs together yeah yeah so it, it must be the manufacturing that is the most expensive is that is that wrong I, I wouldn't say it this way i mean this this is really getting into it's like what i think about when i have a moment of free time like why actually what is the underlying reason oh, yeah. for lithium-ion for, for battery-based storage to be more expensive than other technologies yeah yeah that's just what I'm thinking about. I, I I don't really research that because what I research is how much does it cost? How have the costs come yeah, down, right? Yeah. Not the drivers. Yeah. What my theory is, the technologies I mentioned, pumped hydro and compressed air, yeah. these are based on a mechanical principle to store electricity because yeah. you use gravitation or you use compression. Yeah. These are mechanical energy storage yeah. ways. Batteries, on the other side, rely on electrochemistry. So what happens here is you have materials that create a certain voltage difference between one another that want to react. And that's yeah, electrochemistry. And you're using this desire of materials to react with one another, yeah, to store energy and to release it. Right. So it comes down to the materials. If, you're, if your principle is based on gravitation, mm -hmm. you just need a heavy material or a material that can fall and thereby release energy yep. yeah. or a material you can compress. That's air or yeah. water. It's not rocket science, yeah. For electrochemistry, you need those materials, which are usually some precious metals, you know, and um, these are more expensive. So the underlying materials that you use are more expensive. Gotcha. Then again, the main cost driver for compressed air or pumped hydro is not the materials because they're pretty cheap. It's really the construction of the dam or, you know, the construction of the power plant infrastructure. Mm -hmm. However, for uh, battery-based storage, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the materials. And currently, of course, still the manufacturing is quite expensive. Mm -hmm. But that is part of my research. The more you produce, the cheaper it will get. That's called the learning effect, yeah. right? If you make breakfast the first day, it's going to take you longer than if you make it the second day. Yeah. And this also happens in manufacturing stuff in a factory. Mm -hmm. And that's where batteries can learn mm -hmm. and reduce their costs. And that's what's happening with lithium iron massively at the moment. So lithium iron batteries are used since the 90s in consumer electronics. Yeah. Huge factories built to build all of these batteries that go into phones, laptops, yeah. iPods. 
So these batteries, initially quite expensive, have experienced a huge learning curve, yeah. have done gone down their learning curve. Costs have come down the more was produced because larger factories were built, but then also this learning effect. People have made their processes more efficient. The supply chain was optimized. They could buy their resources cheaper. Then lithium-ion batteries have become cost-effective for electric vehicles. Okay. The storage capacity we would need if all 1.2 billion cars in the world are electrified yeah. is so incredibly huge, it will draft the storage capacity we will ever need in stationary storage for the grid. So that's, again, a huge level playing field for lithium-ion batteries to reduce their cost. You hear about gigafactories by Tesla, but mm -hmm. there are also gigafactories in China. And it's just the scale of manufacturing which makes lithium-ion batteries cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, potentially to the point where they're cheaper than pumped hydrogen compressed air. Nice. As, as we're on that topic, right, um, so I was actually reading one of your interesting articles on uh, Storage Lab. Now... It was based on gravity-based energy storage, mm -hmm. and the headline said, gravity-based energy storage could prove to be cheaper than batteries, mm -hmm. right? So how does, from what you're telling us now about lithium batteries and stuff, what does that mean? Yeah, so I mean, I said that initially, or still, pumped hydro and compressed air will be the cheapest energy storage technologies if you look at the lifetime yeah. um, of, of your device. I also said that pumped hydro, unfortunately, the good spots have been taken. Okay. It's now getting increasingly difficult to build those plants, which means they will get more and more expensive. The learning curve that I found for these technologies is negative yeah. in contrast to lithium-ion, which is highly positive. So what people are thinking about now is alternative ways to still use this mechanical principle of storing electricity which Pantadro relies on, yeah. mm -hmm. but where you are independent from the location. Mm -hmm. This article that I wrote is uh, about a collaboration with right. a startup that I had. Right. Um, there are actually multiple startups that are thinking about using gravitation as a way to energy, to store energy, just uh, in, a, in a different way than pumped hydro. This particular one um, is thinking about drilling a 100-meter diameter cylinder of rock from Earth, mm -hmm pumping water below it to lift it when you have electricity and then letting it sink down again to produce electricity. Wow. Mm -hmm. There's another startup which wants to use old mine shafts that are not used anymore, so where the lift for a mine would go down, and just put a weight on top, drop it down when you need electricity. It's yeah. more for this kind of short term when you need it for half an hour, mm -hmm. and then lift it up again when you have electricity. Right. So, So where does this come in? This comes in because... Again, they think, what materials do we need? Well, we just need to drill out a rock from Earth, or we just need to drop a weight made of concrete down a hole. So when you just look at the material costs, these technologies are definitely cheaper than batteries. Okay. Of course, these are new, you know, so construction as an experience, it's quite expensive, but they hope that they can actually beat because they can beat batteries because they have much lower material costs. But would that not have an impact? Would that not destroy a lot of land, but not you know society, you know, our communities. Yeah. Would it not? How I many mean, how many how many rocks do you want to yes. lift and push back down? Yeah, so if we're thinking about the first one with the one hundred meter diameter, of yeah. course. Um, um then again I can imagine some fields of course you have to see if the soil is uh, well suited, but I think there are areas which are not frequently used. Um you need to also think in contrast batteries uh, they maybe don't have an impact 
where they're deployed, okay. but they have an impact where the raw materials are sourced yes. from. Mm. So it, it's kind of also this principle, where does the impact happen? Yeah. But then of course, also how severe is the impact? Obviously not That's everyone it. wants this massive rock rise from the ground. Oh. I mean, some like <laughs> the me world is ending. Cool. Ah, <laughs> save me. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's an interesting option, I think. Nice. The rock rising and then falling. Right, it's like Superman, isn't it? I don't know what kind of movies you watch. Um, Damn. The, <laughs> the rock rising piece that takes energy as well, right? Now, yeah. outside of like a human actually pumping the lift up, surely there's electricity spent moving the rock up. Mm -hmm. Of course. Is there more electricity created from hitting the rock down or like shooting the rock down? No. Now you would invalidate one of the key principles of mm -hmm. natural sciences, right? You can't. Uh, create energy yeah um, you always convert energy and what's happening here is of course you need energy to lift the rock up yeah or the other example where you have a mine shaft to pull the weight yes yes yeah. and then when you let the weight fall down or in the other in the other example with the massive 100 meter diameter cylinder rock yeah. if you let it glide down and yeah. push the water you've used to pump it up yeah it will always release less energy then you put in yeah. that's right. called the round trip efficiency, right? Um, which for those two technologies, I think will be in the 80%. Yeah. yeah. So you only get 80% back of what you initially put in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so are people then in this case, sorry, not using electrical electricity to pump it up, but using like their manual labor or some other way to lift the rock up and then yeah. drop it down. And no, this is always this is always ways to store electricity. Yeah. So so of course um, so electricity in, electricity out. Yeah. So you use electricity to get your weights weights up. Yeah. And then you get electricity back when they go down. But you only get eighty percent back. Yeah, but that's quite good actually. That's quite pumped hydro is equally eighty percent efficient. Uh -huh. Batteries uh, depends on what components you have to include, but yeah. they could maybe get up to eighty five. Some technologies I didn't mention now can get up to 90%, yeah. but you, you never go close 200%. to 100 no. Okay, let me ask a, another silly question. These technologies, these cheap technologies like pumped hydro um, and, and the, the water reservoir piece, they why can't it become more modular? Why can't you take the, the turbines themselves or take just the ability to manage the gravity flow and then take that to areas where there is climate change happening and say, look, there's places that are flooding so let's equip the flooding places with turbines in case the flood happens at least we can generate some electricity take it to like the arctic where like there's ice caps that are melting yeah thus causing not only the gravitational fall in, in ice but also potentially rocks and other objects and say we're going to build a, a i don't know a shaft or something there and then create energy from that that place yeah. why is that not a possibility um, let me let me rephrase because I think you're asking two questions. The first question you ask: Why can pumped hydro compressed air not become more modular? Yeah. So building small of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just small of the same thing, right? There, there's if you look at the journey of energy that's being created yeah. in uh, in these pumped hydro uh, places, there's obviously like a breakdown. There's obviously like there's a moment where you have the top reservoir which keeps the energy. There's a bottom reservoir. There's modular pieces that are put together to make this whole system work. Uh -huh. Why can't pieces of that be used in, in other places? Yeah. I'm trying to say. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So I thought first modular, but then you're also trying to rethink the system. But I think, yeah, I, I, I got your question now. I mean, about your second point, you want this energy to be storable regularly. 
Mm -hmm. right so if you now deploy some water turbines in a flooding area yeah. you don't know when the flooding is happening yeah plus you cannot put energy into creating this flooding at some point so yeah. what you're essentially building is you're building a hydropower plant that will produce electricity whenever there's a flooding yeah. but you have no way of charge that up so to you know to, like, to yeah. energy to store the energy yeah. yeah what i think is very interesting is your point of making pumped hydro compressed air more modular yeah. which i would interpret as building smaller of them yeah because then you might have access to more locations yeah. or locations that are closer to demand or renewable generation centers i think this really ha has to do with the engineering of the devices needed for the turbines they need to be large enough there's economies of scale yeah. um, so the larger, the cheaper it will be. So the smaller you go, the more expensive the components you need for yeah. the storage device will get. And yeah. then suddenly you're probably more expensive than batteries. I guess where I'm trying to come from is energy conversion is happening all the time. Right? Mm -hmm. You see it with the natural causes of life. You see it with weather. You see it with all sorts of things that are happening in our environment. Mm -hmm. Right. In fact, I would argue that most of the energy that we could create is coming from the weather and the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Right why aren't we leveraging all of this? Why aren't we leveraging, and I, this is silly, right? But like tornadoes take place. Why can't we capture energy from tornadoes and store it somewhere? Yeah. You know, flooding takes place again, same thing. The The facility for storage doesn't have to be around where the flooding actually takes place, but could you not have like a battery that's stored somewhere else and transfer that energy as, as this is taking place? Yeah. Does that make sense? But I guess you're saying it's something that you can't predict. You never know when it's going to take place, right? And but, it, but, that, it, but that's cost... fine. The, yeah. The, the prediction is not the problem, right? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter if a, if a tornado or a flood hits like one every like every year or every uh -huh. couple months, right? The, the point is once it hits, you capture that energy. It's not lost energy. So really in theory, we've got the technology available. Why not just, yeah, have yeah. it there ready? Yeah. That's what you're trying to say, yeah. right? Why not have it, why not go to the US, you know, when there's floods? Because they're fairly frequent, aren't they? Uh -huh. yeah. And just put something there. And yeah, see what there's happens. hurricanes happening all across the coast of Miami. Why can't you build a, a fortified energy plant and capture some energy? Yeah. Yeah. I think now we're talking more about energy generation. Mm -hmm. and I think what you're referring to is what we're doing mm -hmm. by building wind farms and solar plants, yeah. uh, solar farms, yeah. because these are weather patterns we can kind of predict. Yes. Yeah. I think with floodings and with tornadoes, the problem is we can predict them less yeah. accurately. With floodings, obviously, you could build a hydropower plant, which is one of the most widely deployed energy generation technologies around the world, as rivers. Yeah. If you have a, a kind of water bed, which often floods, you could deploy something like that. But then again, you rather deploy the plant at a river that yes. always flows than at, at some place where you have flooding only occasionally. The same thing is, I rather build a wind farm that produces electricity from the wind then building a more fortified, crazy device that captures hurricane energy, which, yes, admittedly, is a lot of energy. It would be yeah. great. It doesn't come regularly. Yeah. You know, like, think about the demand. People want to build factories where they know they have uh, energy security. Yeah. So they're not going to go to Jamaica because once every two years there's a massive, massive hurricane. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting yeah. thing to think I, about. I think of it as, like, <laughs> bonus points, right? You have, yes. you have predictable wind farms, but then you also have, like, oh, like a tornado hit. Bonus energy for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in the end, this brings energy storage into play again. If you develop a technology that can extract all the energy from a tornado yeah. or a hurricane, yeah. then of course you have that at once, but you need it for the next two years. Yeah. So then you need a nice storage technology. Yeah. How would you project in the future costs for something like that? If we were to deploy something like that, you know, 
So how would you project the costs? Well, I would use the method that I have used now mm -hmm. to uh, predict the cost for batteries or for other storage technologies. What, what, is, what is that method? That method is called a learning curve analysis. Okay. You look at the components you need for your new technology. I don't know which components you would need for batteries. Um, I, I know that, yeah, it's it's a battery. That's It's a battery cell deployed, yeah. produced in a factory. Yeah. And what I do here is I look how much has that cell cost in 2010? Yeah. How much has it cost in 2011? How yeah. much has it cost in 2013? Yeah. How much of that was produced in each of those years? Like the cumulative amount that was produced in 2010, 2011, it's always increasing, right? Yeah. And then I build a relationship between the two. Right. So you need to imagine on the y-axis, you have the prices. Yes. So the points are coming down. Mm -hmm. On the x-axis, you have the amount you've produced mm -hmm. ever. Um, so it's always increasing. Mm -hmm. And... If you have those two axes on a logarithmic scale, it will be a straight line. Mm -hmm. So that has that's the science that has been identified in the early 20th century. Right. For lots of products, when you look at what they cost relative to how much of them has produced ever, mm -hmm. if these two axes on a logarithmic scale, it will be a straight line, okay. which means there's yeah. a decreasing, yeah. which means there is a constant rate, and that's the learning rate. And that says whenever the total amount produced of a technology doubles, yeah. mm -hmm. costs will go down by a certain percentage. So, for example, for lithium-ion batteries, the learning rate I found was 19%. Right. That means the second lithium-ion battery was 19% cheaper than the first. Mm -hmm. The fourth was 19% cheaper than the second. The eighth was 19% cheaper than the fourth. Mm -hmm. And so on and so on. If you double the amount that has been produced, mm -hmm. costs will go down by that percentage. That has initially been identified in 1936 by building uh, airplane frames. Yeah, right. Um, it has been shown for technologies throughout, um, very famous for... Um, it's like Moore's Law, right? The, the price of ships are getting cheaper and whatnot. Let me just finish this for solar panels. When yes. I found this as well. Mm -hmm. um, now there are different laws. Moore's Law mm -hmm. is as a function of time. Mm -hmm. um, I think the amount, the storage amount of, of memory yeah. doubles every two years. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm referring to is Wright's Law, because mm -hmm. he was the guy who uh, found this relationship in 1936 with airplane frames. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go prices relative to time, mm -hmm. but prices relative to cumulative amount of stuff produced. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, this, this kind of learning effect can be done, can be seen relative to prices, but it can also be seen relative to memory capacity, mm -hmm. relative to some performance parameter mm. or cost parameter. Interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah, to, to come back to your initial question, this yeah. is the method that I think is very great in, pro uh, in projecting future performance or future cost yeah. of a certain technology. It's a statistical method. Mm -hmm. People don't really understand why we have this relationship. Yes. Yeah, with uh, increase in memory every two years or a reduction of cost uh, with doubling of production. Production. Yeah. Kind of know what's underlying there. They know it's this learning effect. They know it's economies of scale. They know it's improvement to the supply chain. Yeah. Um, but you don't really understand the driver. However, you see this relationship. Um, once you've identified it for a product, it seems to be true, and you can just you know top down see uh, what's happening. Other ways to predict future costs, for example, of your idea of harnessing tornado energy, <clears throat> yeah. 
um, would be to interview experts mm -hmm. of the technology. Hey, what is your view? What innovations will happen in the next few years? Right. You build a so-called bottom-up engineering model. Okay. So you construct the technology in your Excel spreadsheet mm -hmm. by uh, listing the cost of all components. Mm -hmm. Then you include what the expert has said. Mm -hmm. He has said, oh, the cost of this component, I think, will decrease by 20% because of this and this innovation. Mm -hmm. And then you recalculate your total cost. And that's kind of more the bottom-up way mm -hmm. of calculating future costs. Mm -hmm. Here you will exactly know what the cost drivers are because the expert has told you those cost drivers. Mm -hmm. And that's a different method of, uh, of projecting future costs. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you use both. You use the learning curves as a sort of blind, data-proven tool. Mm -hmm. yeah. And at the same time, you can interview experts, build your bottom-up model mm -hmm. to more understand the underlying drivers. But would that be based upon assumptions if you interview an ex expert? That's obviously yeah. subjective, right? Yeah. Experts, they have their view, but I mean... They, it's it's a complex issue. They will never be able to incorporate um, all the contributing factors. While if you just look at the development in the past, yes, th that automatically has all contributors contributing factors included. Mm -hmm. It's not validated against some key innovations that suddenly happen and make something much cheaper, but it's validated against incremental. Uh, something that's been happening for so many years isn't it this is this exactly. is not just like oh poof new startup coming up with something this is these are being deployed exactly. after years of researching yes yes wow. so that, that's a very good point because this method this learning curve method yes is becomes better and better the more mature a product is Absolutely. right like solar panels have now been produced since the 70s so now you this don't learning think of it curve, that way, do you really? You don't really think no, about it, but no. yeah, yeah. And 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 now this method is very good in predicting the cost for the next year, or the, for the next ten years. Of course, when you build that curve uh, with a few data points in the seventies, it, it's not it's a lot of data it. that yeah. you can base your tool on. Yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of start to wrap all this stuff up, what are the implications of your research for the future? What can society do? What can generations do? What can we learn from what you? Why was I doing this research initially? I was doing this research because our planet is changing. That's called climate change. We're having more disasters. Lots of areas are becoming inhabitable. People are moving. With all this discussion about immigration, we see what this will lead to. Yeah. One of the main drivers of that is our energy generation at the moment. Mm -hmm. The way we generate energy, in particular electricity, has to change. It's changing because more renewables are coming online, but we're hitting a bottleneck at the moment because a lot of this renewable energy can't be used because it's produced at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need storage. Storage is currently too expensive. Mm -hmm. That's why people are not really interested in building more renewables. Mm -hmm. So what they can learn from my research is they can use the tools I've developed and the data I've found to see how the cost of storage technologies are decreasing in which application, which storage technology is the cheapest, mm -hmm. and then go about invest in that technology because they have more confidence that the costs are coming down. So mm -hmm. my hope would be to release that bottle or to open that bottleneck of deploying more renewables. Nice. And have you looked at um, energy storage for developing countries? Uh, any interesting insights? Um, I mean, that is incredibly interesting, right? Mm. In developing countries... Um, you don't have a traditional energy system. You don't have power plants Correct. and grid lines. So renewables coupled with battery storage or other forms of energy storage are an opportunity for developing countries to leapfrog 
the traditional energy system mm. because you can imagine just deploying a solar panel and a battery in a house without any access to energy. Mm. You could imagine building a bigger um, a solar panel farm and a bigger battery as a kind of mini grid that then connects different houses that didn't have any access to energy. Yes. And then thereby bottom up connect those so-called residential systems, connect those mini grids and thereby build a uh, countrywide energy system. So I think cost effective and also sustainable energy storage can enable energy access to 1.2 billion people without access to any energy right, yeah. and establish real energy system, uh, electricity systems in developing countries. Mm. Um, and I hope also that this is one impact of my research by showing that costs for batteries are coming down and uh, this idea that I just described becomes feasible. It's an important, important research. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was mind blowing. Um, I'm gonna need to like lie down after after this podcast. Um, thank you so much, Oliver. Your time was really, really well respected. We thank you very much. It. Yeah, very thank well, you. very well informed question. It's very nice to. Yeah, thank you, thank them. you. Yeah, the tornado energy stuff is just uh, that's that's the head, next man. big thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. <laughs> Maybe you can fly with a with a with a you know with a plane that has massive turbines on both sides into the tornado and and see what uh, Of course, it also has a <laughs> massive way of storing energy on board maybe a battery that's that's a great idea you have lots of planes flying in you know and flying out with those yeah. batteries yeah exactly exactly that we call it tornado airlines or something yeah. Yeah. yeah let's see how much energy you need to fly the plane if, if you work on it can i get five percent you get the finance well you know the cost right so you're gonna be my cost guy. anyways thanks so much for your time thanks Oliver. thank you Thanks for listening. Thank you. Check out our page at patreon.com slash for inquisitive minds. Reach out to us, check out our episodes and, and stay in touch. Check it out.